0: Welcome to The Bridge. I'm glad that you've joined us. Uh, Sophie Fierich wrote a poem called Times of Change uh, in reference to what she sees through the eyes of a 13-year-old that's going on in our country, that's going on in our world. And I'm not gonna read all of it. I'll have it it put on our webpage and have Andy put it on Facebook for us, a Facebook private page, so that you can read it in its entirety. But it's her perspective, it's a 13 year old's perspective of what's happening in the world and in our country. It says, oh, the country of the mighty who have fallen. We stood together then in peace and harmony with sweet symphonies in the air where the bad was sought out and diminished when stealing, hurting, and destroying were all those of wrongdoings. Why is it now that you make things burn? make people annoyed and feel like they, they're about to turn? What justice will it bring from a shiny new ring that was stolen from a store of many things? Will that make night turn into day? Will that make the world stop turning? Will that, will that make money matter? Will it bring back the one sadly lost? Will it bring back the mo- monuments vandalized and gone? Will it change the past of your desires? Will it fill you with pride and good deeds? Will it fix everything? As Sophie looks uh, through her eyes at what's happening on the TV screen, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is the world that we're giving to our children. This is the nation that we're giving to our children. And I also want to respond that we have a job to do in the church. We have a mission given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's for these times. And there is an answer for us in the church. There is an answer for us as Christians. And there's an answer for us as Christian Americans in 2020. This passage of Scripture that we're looking at today speaks in part to that answer, speaks in part to what it is that Jesus has called his disciples to do. We're in Luke chapter 10, verses one through 24. And again, Sophie, thank you for your words and your perspective, and they matter to us. And I hope you get a chance to read them uh, on our webpage. Disciples of Jesus arise. That's the title of the sermon today. Disciples of Jesus arise, Luke 1 to 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house whenever you enter a town and they receive you. Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These 16 verses are our first point. They describe what is the disciples' responsibility. Response ability, the ability to respond. We have an ability given to us by the Lord Jesus to respond in this present day, in 2020. As disciples of Jesus, we still are called to respond. And how does he want us to respond? Did Jesus send his disciples out, these 72, did he send them out to just make the world a little happier and a little healthier and a little better, a little kinder? That's not our job. Our job is to bring the kingdom of Jesus Christ and bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, to be about the business of bringing eternal salvation. In verse 1, we see Jesus described as Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 72. And this is very much like the beginning of chapter 9, where he sends out the 12. And Jesus sends out 12, and now he says, the Lord appointed 72 more. And he sent them out into the towns where he was going. And I'm not going to go through each of the commands that he gave, because they're very similar to the commands that he gave to the 12, about not bringing extra uh, sandals, or not bringing, not bringing sandals at all, not bringing a backpack, not bringing extra cloak, not bringing things that you might bring normally on a trip. He's describing, bring, making dependence, enter into a home and into that hospitality and let your peace be brought there. All of those things are the marks of what these original disciples are sent out to do. Why did Jesus pick seventy two? Why 72? What's the importance of that number? Is it just a random number that he picked 72 guys because that's what were available and sent them out by two? No, in keeping with the 12, one for each of the tribes of Israel, now with the 12 that were sent out in chapter 9 and the 72 that are sent out in chapter 10, we have seven times 12 sent out. It's the numbers of completion. The numbers of God will bring enough laborers one way or another. He will provide laborers for the harvest. And he's calling us, all of his disciples, everyone, the complete number are sent. Everyone is accounted for and we are to be sent out two by two. And why in twos? That wasn't something that was from the Old Testament. There was no sign of this before. This is something new. Being sent out in two means there'll be two witnesses. Being sent out by two means there will be accountability, there will be companionship, there will be protection. But maybe most of all, there will be the possibility for communion Jesus is modeling, and and later in this passage we're going to see Jesus talk about his relationship with the Father, but he's modeling what he wants. He wants the church not to be a solitary state where we are uh, a solitary job, where we go out by ourselves and do the job by ourselves. It doesn't mean we can't do that, but Jesus has modeled for us community, and that this faith in Jesus Christ is meant for community. And he sends us out two by two, and he sends out 72 at this point and 12 before. And so much is the same. He says that he's going to send us out in the midst of wolves as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's verse 3. And he tells us in verse 2 to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into the harvest. The picture is, is that Jesus has been a praying example for us and he has been praying before he picks his 12, and he is praying as he sends out the 72, and then he tells the 72 and the 12 to pray. He tells us to pray and ask God, please send more workers, so that more of the Christian message in the kingdom of God is brought to America in 2020. More of the message of the gospel is brought out in the Bridge Church. If we are disciples of Jesus Christ, our responsibility, our ability to respond is that we are sent out into this world, into this nation, to bring a message, the message of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that Christ has come to bring healing. He tells us in verse 4 again, don't bring any money bags, and verse 5, whatever house you enter, Peace be to that house, this picture of hospitality that comes from God himself, is supposed to be what is evident in the church. We are supposed to be entering into a relationship with others. Peace be to this house, shalom, that greeting of hospitality. And if a son of peace is there, if a son of hospitality, if a son of God is there, one who understands and receives the message of the kingdom, then you should join in that house, stay in that house and build church type relationships in that house. Build community, Christian community. Drink with them, eat with them, receive from them. And then in verse 9, it speaks of continuing the work of Jesus Christ wherever these disciples are sent. Heal the sick, uh, bring the kingdom of God. That's what's come to you. In verse 9 and 11, the kingdom of God is mentioned that this is, coming near the kingdom of god has come near to you this message is what the church is supposed to bring in the midst of covid 19 and midst of the riots the church is supposed to be about the business of bringing the message of the kingdom of god come near jesus has brought peace between us and god and he's brought peace between us and each other and we are messengers of peace Sophie, I'm sorry we haven't done a better job. Those in the youth group, the kids that are growing up in the bridge, those who are younger, and you look around at this broken world, I'm, I'm here to tell you that the world's been broken from the time sin entered into it. There wasn't a good season, the good old days. There has been always sin and evidence of sin. But there are times that the church has done its job and stood up and spoken for peace and spoken for the lordship of Jesus Christ. And especially within our community, we are children of Jesus Christ, children of God through Jesus Christ, and he is Lord. From this point in chapter 10, the word Lord is used more often. Now that Jesus has been revealed through the transfiguration, through what Peter said, and as the bar has been set higher for discipleship, as, as Charlie described that last week, don't wait, come be part of the disciples. This charge, the, the term Lord becomes more prominent. We are to see Jesus as the Lord of the church. We are to see Jesus of the Lord of these times, that he is bringing his message within this context. Within this brokenness, we have a message to bring to the church. And it is the kingdom of God coming near. And when that message comes, some will reject it. Many will reject, just as they did that day. In verse 10 it says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God came near through the message of the early church, as the church came and brought the message of Jesus Christ, the message of grace and peace and love from God, love from the Father for the world through Jesus Christ. As people didn't respond, they were rejecting the very message and plan of God for peace. This is the message of the church. And when it's rejected, we recognize they're not rejecting us. When we truly tell the message in love, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. I tell you, he says in verse 12, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town that rejects the message of Jesus Christ. That's a big statement. Sodom is, from the Old Testament perspective, considered the most evil of towns that would have brought the judgment of God, no matter what anybody thinks, they would have been considered the most evil. Everyone would have been able to compare themselves to Sodom and say, well, we're not that bad. We're not trying to kill people that visit our town. We're not trying to do awful things to that person before we kill them who enter our town. And yet, Jesus says that it's gonna be more bearable for Sodom than for the town that rejects the message of Jesus Christ. It'll be more bearable for Sodom than the town that rejects the message of Jesus Christ, than the person that rejects the message of Jesus Christ, than the nation that rejects the message of Jesus Christ. Our job is not to make people believe or make people follow. Our job is to tell the truth of the story of Jesus Christ. This is the message of peace. This is the message. And if people choose to reject it, then let them reject us for the message of Jesus Christ. Not reject us because we've been demanding our rights. Not reject us because we want safety for ourselves, primarily. Let us be rejected for the message of Jesus Christ. He goes on to talk about that rejection. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Bethsaida, these are three cities. He's going to mention Capernaum also. And in these three cities on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, it was a primary place, the epicenter of Jesus' ministry. They saw miracle after miracle, and many people still rejected Jesus Christ, even though they were impressed with him, even though they were excited about him. They still rejected the message of Jesus Christ. And now he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter and Philip. For if the works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. This is an incredible statement. Tyre and Sidon were considered to be repugnant cities to the Jews. In Ezekiel 26 to 28 and Isaiah 23, we see judgment poured out on Tyre and Sidon. And they are considered to be heinous sinners, And God says, I'm going to judge them. But here Jesus says, it is going to be better for Tyre and Sidon. In fact, if the works that were done in Chorazin and Bethsaida, Tyre and Sidon would have repented. That's a huge statement. Why did Jesus say that? He said it as he's leaving Galilee and turning his face towards Jerusalem. He's saying it. Wake up, people. Don't you know that the judgment of God is going to come on those who reject Jesus and the sin of rejecting Jesus is greater than all the other sins. No matter what else you do, if you reject Jesus as Savior, it is an eternal rejection of God's plan of salvation for you. And you're basically saying to God the Father, no, thank you. We don't need your sacrifice, even though he out of love was willing to give his very son for us. It is an offense to the living God, and it is what we will be judged for. We'll be judged based on what we did with Jesus. And the church's job is to bring people to a place where they make a decision about Jesus. That's our message. He says, Tyre and Sidon would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Why? Because rejecting Jesus is the ultimate sin that keeps us from salvation. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Now there were those in Capernaum who accepted Jesus Christ, but as a group, they rejected him. They rejected his message. They wanted his healings, they wanted his blessing, and they wanted his food, but they did not want his message. And they were unwilling to submit to his message and call him Lord verse 16, he makes this statement about our responsibility, our the disciples' responsibility. Our response is to be sent and to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom has come near. And here's how he concludes this first section of the sermon. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Jesus says, do the math. If the world is rejecting the church because they're bringing the message of the kingdom of God, because they're speaking about who Jesus is and what he's brought to humanity, if they reject us, Jesus is saying, okay, you've done what I've asked you to do. Your job isn't to make them believe. Your your job in 2020 church in North America is to make people be people of peace, based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, our job is to bring the message of peace that Jesus Christ has brought through his death and resurrection. And if the world rejects us for that message, then they're just rejecting Christ. And if they're rejecting Christ, they're rejecting Yahweh. They're rejecting the God who sent Christ. Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't fret if you're rejected, if you're hated. There are so many voices right now telling us what to think and how to respond, what to say. And I'm trying to listen to those voices and learn, and I still have a long way to go. I'm not saying I understand the right responses to these different issues, but I will say that we cannot forget that our primary responsibility that that overshadows by far every other responsibility in the church the message that we bring to the world is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we fight for the poor. And yes, we fight for the weak. And yes, we fight for widows and orphans. And yes, we want to find ourselves standing with those who can't stand up by themselves against oppression. But ultimately, we are children of those who are fighting the oppression of sin. And if we put a Band-Aid on, on cancer, it's not fixing it. There is a cancerous growth in in the culture and in humanity that runs deeply. And we need to let the Lordship of Jesus Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ, bring the kingdom of Jesus Christ near so that we give that message to others, let them reject us if they choose to. But to be rejected because we are demanding our rights, I just don't find that as our responsibility. I think our responsibility is to set aside our rights and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to fight for others. Jesus here tells his disciples what the responsibility and the big difference between chapter nine and chapter 10 is that this is for all disciples. This is the filling up of disciples. We are to begin by praying, Lord, send workers into your harvest, and follow right behind it, and send me. Here am I, send me. It is the disciples' responsibility to bring the gospel and to bring the reign of Christ close to our communities. Disciples' responsibility is verses 1 through 16. Disciples' reward is in 17 through 20. What is the disciples' reward? And this speaks again to what we're going through right now. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We see here what the disciples' reward is. These 72 came back with a similar report that the 12 came back with, which is, this is really great. We have authority and we have power and we can tell uh, demons to do things and, and the demons do them. And it's interesting that this is right in the shadow of what Charlie preached last week about the disciples not being able to cast out a demon. But here they're given authority over demons and they sense this power and they're wondering, is this the reward? There is power over evil. And do we have power over evil as the church? Well they come back and they talk about this great excitement that they've experienced by seeing that God's power is evident in them and through them and they've taken the authority given to them by Jesus and they are able to speak to demons and the demons have to respond in significant fashion and leave when they're told to leave. The demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who sends. And Jesus affirms that in verse 18 and goes on to affirm that this isn't the reward. The reward isn't having a powerful word or a powerful ministry here on earth. The reward is is yet to come. Verse 18, Jesus says, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. If you were to look in Isaiah 14, um, let me just read a couple of verses from Isaiah 14 in verses 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart, "I will ascend to heaven; above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high; I will sit on the mount of assembly." In the far reaches of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself myself like the Most High, but you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Isaiah talks about Satan's fall, how his desire was to become like God, greater than God, and to have authority like God, greater than God. And Jesus speaks to these disciples who are displaying the authority given to them in Christ and this power given to them in Christ, and he says, I saw Satan fall. Now, he could be talking about, I saw Satan fall before, or I will see to it that Satan falls one day. I know that he will fall. This could be prophecy, or it could be speaking that he was there at the time when Satan fell, before our time. And Satan fell from grace because he disobeyed the lordship of God the Father and he wanted to be king himself. And in this context, Jesus is saying, so you know that I was there at the beginning when Satan fell. I was responsible for Satan falling. I am Lord and I will be there at the end. And based on the power of Jesus Christ, Satan will be sent away and he will fall. It is I who have authority over evil. It is I, Christ says, who was there when an evil was done away with and will be done away with. So he makes this huge statement about Satan falling and that he saw it. In verse 19, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. He's saying that I have this authority. I had this authority then. I will have this authority forever. And I can speak a word and Satan will not be able to stand against it. And evil will not be able to stand against my love and my grace and my mercy and the work that my kingdom brings. And you have become just those who shine my light like a moon that doesn't really produce light by itself, we reflect the power of God. We reflect the power of Christ. And as we respond to Jesus as Lord, the church puts on display this power that does away with evil. Churches should be able to overcome evil. And yet, we struggle and fail. Sometimes there's no remarkable difference between the church and the world. Just demanding our rights like everybody else. And to Sophie's poem, I would say, yeah, us too. How we have moved away from our calling, our responsibility, from centering on what is our reward. Jesus speaks that the reward is not your power over Satan and over demons. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Um, You should rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven. This is found in Isaiah 14 and it's found in, uh, in, in Revelation chapter 21 that we will receive an inheritance in heaven and it's for this that the kingdom of God came near and when our names are written in heaven in the book of life, we will receive eternal life. This is our reward. Our reward is not on this planet. The world in all of the history of the church has never been all of the peace and all of the joy and all of the love that we have been promised. We have been promised a place with no more tears. We have been a promised place where the river of living water will flow right from the throne room and the the light that shines from the throne will illumine our days and there'll be no more night and we'll be able to move in community with each other unhindered by shame and, and, and guilt We will be shameless and fearless and filled with love and peace, and the world that we would long to give to our children, ultimately we can't give to them yet. We will give it to them through the power of Jesus Christ and the Lordship of Jesus Christ by by bringing them into a right relationship of Jesus Christ. Children who are listening to this, those who are young and are wondering, where is the hope for you? Well, the hope for you is not ultimately in the United States, and not ultimately in this world. Your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as that comes near to you, I pray that you respond by faith and put your hope and your trust in a world that is yet to come. Jesus says, rejoice not because you have power now over the evil one, but rejoice because you have, your names are written in heaven, that you have an eternity in heaven. We are children of God. Jesus displays the disciples responsibility he disables, displays the disciples reward now he displays the disciples requirement in verses 21 to 24. in that same hour he rejoiced in the holy spirit and said i thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children yes father For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We have seen that our responsibility is to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the world. We have seen that our reward is to go home and be in the place where Jesus reigns. Now we see what the requirement is to enter into that relationship. The requirement is that the Father has revealed it to little children, not to the kings not to those in power, he's revealed it to those who will humble themselves, who will come empty handed. If you have in this life and you say, well, I wanna create a safe place in this world and I want to build my kingdom in this world and I want all of my safety to be in this world and all of my hope to be in this world, and you don't turn towards heaven Uh, You are not worthy of the message of Jesus Christ. We are called to come to Jesus Christ empty-handed. Here is all that I have, and I give you all that I have, and would sacrifice this world for the next. Jesus sacrificed his world for ours. And he came and he gave up all of his rights and privileges, and he said, I will become like a human being, and I will take on human flesh, and I will go to the cross and die for us because he loves us. And the requirement of discipleship is that we come like little children, trusting God, trusting the Lord Jesus, giving him our lives, giving him our stuff, giving him our futures. We are called to give all for discipleship and humility. He says, come like a child. What does a child do? A child just shows up. And a child is quick to be all in and a child will jump into their parents arms quick to trust. And we become cynical as we become older and we try to self-protect and we try to self-promote and we try to build our own worlds and yet he tells us to be humble as a child and come into his presence. This is the prerequisite for discipleship. This is the requirement of discipleship that we would come like children In fact, he goes on to say that the Father is the one who puts the Son on display. It's the Father who knows the Son. It's the Son who knows the Father. And yet, he invites us into this relationship. That it, the one who the Son is willing to reveal him, this is the end of verse 22, except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We are the children of the message. We are the ones who have been shown who God is through Jesus Christ. We have come into a right relationship, a peaceful relationship with Jesus Christ, and we are children of this, the lordship of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And as his children, we delight in this knowledge, and this is our reward as well. And we can only come as children. In verse 23, it goes on to say, Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There are many that hear the message and don't hear it. There are many that see the kingdom of God but don't respond to it. So many came to Christ coming to judge him. So many came to Christ weighing his words, putting themselves above Christ and they missed out on the peace and the love and the joy of the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God came near, the kingdom of God came near, the kingdom of heaven came near, and it came right up next to them, and they responded by saying, thanks, but no thanks. The question is, is in 2020, is the church even bringing the message? Is it telling the world, yes, I know COVID-19 is scary. But I'm here to tell you that there is a cure for everything that ails us through Jesus Christ. Yes, I know there is division and, and people are diminished and black lives matter. But I want you to know that in Jesus Christ, there is equal footing at the cross and we all come. It is a place of no prejudice. Is it, a pla- it is a place where Jew and Gentile, where Greek and barbarian, where slave and Scythian, where black and white are welcome at the foot of the cross and they are equal, brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a solution to our problems at the cross. And we have a message in the church of lasting peace, not temporary peace, lasting peace, lasting hope, lasting love, Lasting joy, a solution to the prejudice, a solution to the stealing, a solution to the anger that were described in the 13 year old's perspective. Will that make night turn into day? She's speaking of the looting. Will that stop? Will that make the world stop turning? Will that make money matter? Will it bring back the one sadly lost? She looks at what's broken and points it out and moves us towards a brighter day by the end of it. I hope you read it, but I want you to know that the message of the church is moving us towards the brightest of days. The days when Jesus will return for his bride and bring us home and we want all to come. We want every town and to be able to hear, and we want every neighbor to be able to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And churches, Christians in churches, disciples of Jesus Christ, arise and know what is your responsibility. Remember what is your reward. And be reminded what is the, requ- is the requirement of discipleship. Dear friends, I hope that you respond that you respond with faith during COVID-19, that you respond as a disciple of Jesus Christ more than any other message being offered today. Because more than any other message being offered today, this one brings eternal hope. And I pray that eternal hope, the message of eternal hope, would be coming from the disciples of the Bridge Church, the disciples at the Bridge Church Dear friends, won't you join me as a disciple of Jesus Christ, bringing the message of hope in a sick world? Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this message of peace, this message of truth, this message of hope that is given to us through Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would bring many workers into the harvest. I pray that you would bring the bashful and the outgoing and the abrupt and the quick to speak and those who are slow to speak. And Father, those who have a a small area of influence and those who have a greater area of influence, I pray that people would hear again and again from the disciples of Jesus Christ that we have real hope in Jesus Christ, that we have real peace in Jesus Christ. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this responsibility. Thank you that you've sent us into the world. And Father, I pray that we would be faithful to go out into the world as disciples of yours. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.